Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex and I'm one of your hosts as we talk about those four things and with me is... Alaric, who's thinking that actually those four things, we don't say an equal amount of each. No, we don't do... What do you think we do less of? Games. We did a lot in the early ones. I'll bring it back. Yeah, bring the games back. So, we had an unaired two pilots. I don't know if we've talked about this before on the show. But we had two unaired pilots, and in one of them, we did a very good puzzle about kings on a chessboard. Yep. That was great. And that was, you know, a good example of a good games puzzle, and we don't, you know, do as um, many. So, And in the other episode, we did a good one about um, 1D Connect 4. Yes, we did. So there we go, if we ever get around to <laughs> releasing those. Uh, the reason we didn't bring those out is we realised that some things don't work well in an audio format, and so while some of the puzzles were good, things that don't work well over a podcast, which would work well in, say, YouTube, are long strings of algebra or big geometry problems. And we were pitching it lower than we wanted to. Yep. In terms of skill level. So here we are, with things that you can listen to that are quite difficult. Do you want to start doing that then, right now? Yes, let's do it. I have been thinking quite a lot about Minecraft. Wow, fancy that, so have I. <laughs> so, uh, for the listeners, the reason we didn't record yesterday is because we played Minecraft for like eight hours together. Yeah, uh, yeah. Over Skype. Both of us, when we get together, ready to create the podcast, put the names of our problems up on a Google Sheet. And both of us had something to do with Minecraft on there. So I think we're just kind of going to merge them. We we haven't talked about what they are, but we suspect we've come up with pretty much the same problem. I think it's the same. Do you want to go first? Okay, yep. So, in Minecraft, when you're crafting, you're crafting things on a table, which is a 3 by 3 grid, so you've got nine spaces. And you're putting mm. items into it, and you're making stuff. Items stack usually up to 64. So usually Mm -hmm. you've got a big stack of 64, say, stone. When you're clicking, you can click once to just drop a single of the item from your 64 into one of your spaces. But often it's more efficient to click to place all 64 into one space, and then to right-click, which splits the pile in two. So you click once, you put 64 down into one space, you'd right-click, which picks up 32 of them, which you can then place into one of the other spaces. And so you can keep halving quite quickly. Mm-hmm. One of the common things that you do is you put nine, uh, the full grid there, so nine things in the grid, uh, to make a big block of something. So you might have nine iron ingots, and you're, you want to make uh, an iron block. So you're filling the whole thing. Mm. So say you have a stack of 64 iron ingots, you place yep. them all in the top left, you then right-click, so you've picked up 32 of them, you place them down again, and then you keep halving those piles. Um, now, the problem is, nine isn't a nice power of two there. Yeah. And so you've got two 32s, then you've got four 16s, then you've got eight eights, uh, and then you halve one of them, so you've got seven eights and two fours. Yes. Then you'd uh, click four times to collect those four blocks of iron, mm-hmm. and on the grid would be left seven fours. Yeah. At which point you halve two of them. Mm-hmm. So you've got four twos and five fours left. Right. You keep clicking again, and at that point you've got five twos left. 
Yes. And then you can halve each uh, four of those. So you've got one, two, and four ones. Then you got one left. So you got one, one, two, and eight ones. Do the details matter an enormous amount? Uh, well, what I'm trying to do here is generate a sequence. Okay. Once you click that one off, you've got one left, and you're done. Now that's if you wanted to take the number sixty-four, which is a full stack, and do it into a grid of nine. My question is, for different sizes of grid, so say you want to do a grid of one, or a grid of two, or a grid of three, or a grid of nine, or a grid of say sixty-four, what's the remainder that's left, and how many kind of halvings do you have to do? Can we generate a nice sequence from that? Right. So just to summarise for the listeners who may not have this sort of visually in their head 100% and you want to hear it in a different voice. Uh, you've got a stack of stuff that is a set size and you you can place it either all of that stack in a square or you can halve the amount that's in a square already and put it in another. So you can sort of pick up half and place it in another. And your question is, how does that end up shaking out once you take away an absolute amount from each pile at any given time. So I suppose one way of phrasing it is, how many iterations do you have to do, and what's the remainder? And the remainder's fine to work out, because, for example, 64, you're just doing mod 9. Yes. So it's one mod 9. So the remainder, you we can work out trivially, that's just modular arithmetic. I, I suppose my question is, how many iterations it takes? Iterations meaning number of times that you then have to go back into the moving things process. Yes. How many times are you collecting blocks? Well, I can confirm that this is not the puzzle I was thinking of. So, yeah. Okay. So there'll be another one afterwards. But as <laughs> for this one, well, let's do what we always do. Let's start with the absolute simplest possible thing and expand from there. Okay. So with 64 and you're doing just one thing. One to one. Yep. It takes, it's just one iteration. You can mm-hmm. do 64 times, you don't have to do any rearranging. And we're doing N by N grids, yeah? Uh, I was kind of thinking not necessarily like squares, because in the game of Minecraft you, you can have things which take like five things to make. You're making a boat or a helmet or something. Sure. So we'll, we'll just do N going up linearly. Okay. So when N equals one, when you're making a single thing, then the answer is one iteration. Yes. Okay. What's the next one? Yes. Agreed. Two. two. If you're putting uh, two things together, well, you... Again, it's just one iteration. You don't have to like shift it around at all in between. You halve and distribute, and then it's done. Yep. And it seems to be powers of two here are quite easy to do. Like They're mm. always just going to be one iteration, right? Yeah. So I feel there's a, a, a good uh, use of binary in this. Three? This is a one by three thing. Doesn't matter how it's arranged on the grid. It doesn't matter how it's arranged on the grid. So you put your stack of 64 down. Yeah. You halve it. You halve it again. Yep. So you've got 32... 16, 16. Yep. That goes. Okay. You've got, you've got 16 left in the left. Yep. And then you go 8, Half. 4, 4. Yep. That goes. Yep. 2, 1, 1. And then you've got one left over. Ooh, you're going quickly. Yep. So how many iterations was that? I don't remember because I was doing it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so the first iteration gets you down to 16, 0, 0. The next one gets you down to 4, 0, 0. The next one gets you down to one zero zero, and you're done. Yes, because there's no more that can be made. Yeah. So, three. Now, there's some optimal selection that can be done here. Are we assuming that you take half of the largest pile and you place it into an empty space? Yes. Because you could just 
well, we might potentially get onto something like this when we talk about my Minecraft puzzle, but you could potentially halve things indefinitely and distribute them out, or not, as the case may potentially be, as we may talk about later. Okay. So, um, so, so for four, then. Yeah, it's a power of two. It's just one iteration. Halve it, halve it again. You have your sixty-four. Yeah. Split into two thirty-twos. Yep. And then you split each of those into sixteen, 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 sixteen. Yep. And then you wipe it out, and yep. there's yeah. Is that one or is that zero iterations? That's one. One, okay. So what have we got so far? One, one, three, one. One, one, three, one. Now, I have a suspicion looking at these numbers. But... It, oh, it kind of feels a little bit like the peaks of... Uh, what's that really hard puzzle? The Riemann I... conjecture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was not doing anything like that. Uh, I was going to say the Josephus problem. Okay. Let's do a few few more and I might come back to the Josephus because the Josephus I don't know I feel I can see it in here five uh, you turn your 64 into 232s and then you turn your 32s into 16s and then you go you have three 16s and two 8s so you're left with three 8s and then you halve those into 8 and uh, four 4s and they go and then you've got 4 and you can't do any more uh, you're so fast at this. <laughs> I'm trying to write all of them down. Okay. I don't. <laughs> so, for, for, for listeners at home, there is this there is this endless dynamic on this show where I don't use pen and paper and Alaric does. So I sort of steam ahead in my brain, but have no record of what I just said. Whereas Alaric writes everything down, which was very useful when we had our live show. So in what iteration? Turns it down to sixteen, 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 eight, eight. Then you reap, and you're down to eight, 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 zero, zero. Then you go again, halving two of them. So yep. eight, four, 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 four. And so reaping them, you're going to get four, zero, 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 zero. Yep. And then you can't go again. Yep. Two iterations. Two iterations. It's not the Josephus problem. <laughs> it's not the Josephus problem. Shall I quickly do the Josephus problem? Yes. Is what it... were you? What were your hunch? What was the Josephus hunch? I expected it to be free. The Josephus problem is a classic of maths classrooms. So okay. uh, the story goes, oh, I can't remember which uh, people it was. I think the Romans were the baddies. They usually are in these stories. But you've got Josephus. He is, uh, his army has been defeated. There's a um, hundred of them left. And they've been uh, battled back into a cave. They know the Romans are coming for them. They know bad things are going to happen. And they, they do a sort of suicide pact. Oh, I know this. Yes, but keep going. So they all stand around in a circle. And they, they have a sword, so starting with person number one. And uh, person number one is going to stab person number two, and then pass it on to person number three. Mm-hmm. Person number three is going to stab at the person to their left, person number four, and pass the sword on to person number five. Yep. The sword keeps going round with each person stabbing the person on their left, uh, and it goes round and round the circle until only one person is left. Right. Josephus, thinking, hmm, not so sure on this whole suicide pact thing, uh, wants to place himself so he'll be the last one there right um where does he stand and where does he stand in the general case and without going into the solution for that which is actually quite interesting and detailed if i remember correctly yep the pattern for that one goes one one three something else so it goes one one three one three five seven one three five seven nine eleven thirteen fifteen one right. three da, 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 da. Yeah. it's like and you're we going don't up have that. odd numbers until you would go over the next pair of two at which point yes. you revert back to one okay it's uh <clears throat> something which is easier to see if you write all these numbers in binary 
Mm. It's got a powers of two thing going on, which is why I okay. thought it might be related uh, with this power two stuff that we're doing here. Yeah. Uh, Joseph's Ballroom is also used in a lot of magic tricks involving cards with shuffling fairy stuff, where you're dealing into one pile, then the next. And you're sure. working out which uh, card is going to be left if you keep throwing away half the pack. Right. Now, I suspect that there may be some people adept in computer science who are listening to this right now and going, you're just describing this certain bin packing algorithm that already exists. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem slightly chaotic. Should we do six? Okay. So you have 64. Yep. Uh, so it goes 32, 32, and then that splits into four 16s and two zeros, and that splits into two 16s, two 8s. Uh, two 16s and four 8s. I agree. Yep. Yep. Reap it. Yep. We're down to eight, eight, and then four zeros. We're going to split them into four, 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 zero, zero. So four fours and two zeros. Mm-hmm. And then split two of those fours. So four, four, two, 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 two. Reap it. Two, yep. two, zero, 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 and we're done. Right. How many was that? Uh, one, two. So, what is it we're trying to uncover? I suspect that you'd never really get more than a certain amount of iterations. Yeah. Well, can we do a limit on it then? A bound. Well, if, uh, at sixty-four, which is the only, which is the last one where you have any iterations at all. That it's possible. Yep. Then what do you have there? So it splits into thirty-two. That's one iteration. No, it's not. It's just one. It's just one. It's just one. You just, yeah, it's you just halve two. it. You just wash it across. Yeah. So how does sixty-three work? It's like as soon as you uh, do this process and happen upon a power of two, then you're done. Happen upon a power of two. That's what left. being the power of two. That's left in your grid. So, like, on the last one, we had um, 2, 2, 0, 0, 0, 0. So, in total, we had 4, which is the power of 2, so it goes immediately. Yes, but there's some history issues, right, mm. with what you have re- remaining using a particular algorithm, I think. Yeah. Because you take away... What was the smallest number at the start of each one? So, for 2, it was... Basically, you take away that smallest number multiplied by the n that we're on, and then you have a certain amount remaining. I see. Yeah, you're, you're taking away the smallest from the biggest each time. Yes, mm. you are. But then you have to determine the smallest initially, which isn't hard. But yeah, I agree with your um, history issues thing, because if you think back to the 9 that I did right at the beginning as an illustrative example, how many 1s and 2s you had left in the middle of the grid mattered. Mm. So it gets more complicated as it goes along. I think it's quite chaotic. As you uh, vary n up or down an integer, it's not related to the integers above or below. Their factors matter, and so whether they're prime or not matters. Ah, uh, and, and primality, if that's the word people use in maths, is relatively chaotic. Yep. So it sort of throws things... Yeah. Throws things wild. So uh, this may be... With all these problems that involve primes in the past... Uh, it may just be a list them out sort of job. Yeah. At which point you get a computer to it. Because there's yeah. only 64 to try. Yeah. And I remember very early on in our, in our odds and evenings uh, career, I was saying that that was the purest form of maths because it's science and you're just discovering nature. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm not sure I'm satisfied by that anymore. I think I'm a changed man. Oh, no. I think you've I... also changed me to be more happy to accept that. <laughs> we've, we've, well, we've, we've hit this equilibrium. Because I kind of want to be able to just plug in an N and get an answer. Yeah. I want to be able to turn a handle using pen and paper and be able to get it. Yeah. And to be able to get it for numbers other than stacks of 64 as well. Yes. Well, there's more and more generalized cases into it, yeah. yeah. So what's the sticking point then? What's the aspect of this that's preventing us from moving any further? It doesn't have a simple pattern to it. No, but what's the aspect, what's the underlying thing that's creating the non-simple pattern? We care about whether these numbers have lots of factors or not. Like, powers of 2 is easy, but as soon as you get any other factor in there, it gets chaotic. So, 8 and 16 and 32 and 64 only have one iteration. Yep. And one less than that also has one iteration. 3 didn't. Oh, yeah. 63 only has one iteration. <laughs> Is it one for everything above 33? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we've solved half of all possible puzzles. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we've solved half of all possible cases then. It goes yeah. up to 32, which is... Oh, 32 is also a one. And then 33 is a one. Until... 64. And then so, from 65 onwards, it's zero. What would be nice is if we could find out which number takes the most iterations yes and why is it 15 or it could be 7 you just get the feeling that one on either side of these powers of two is probably the most dangerous zone yep that's my gut it's my mathematical gut should we try some of these likely ones then should we try 7 well let's do 7 yeah is the next one to do anyway yeah okay 7 so 1 16 and 6 8s yeah that becomes one eight, which then you just distribute across again. Yep. And you're done. Yep. Hmm. It's only two iterations. Now, your one that was nine, that was like four iterations. Yeah, it was. What happened there? So you, may, you may have stumbled across <laughs> potentially the highest one <laughs> so, off the bat. So the problem with that, um, with that seven one is the difference between its biggest split number and it's smallest it was only 8 you had 16 and 8 there which are quite close to each other so when we did the reaping we got we collected loads of stuff whereas when we were doing the 9 because we had to split it so many times it meant there was a big difference between the largest and the smallest so when you did the 9 yep you split it into 8 eights sorry 7 eights and 2 fours yeah yep Initially. Okay, I just want to make sure that we're applying the algorithm consistently. Yeah, I Because there are, diff- there are different ways that you can you can do this. But we are saying, in this case, if there is an empty space, you take your pile with the largest amount, and you halve it, and you put it in there. Yes. Yeah. So after one iteration, we got down to seven fours and two zeros. For, the, for what? For nine? Yep. Uh, so five fours, and then four twos. Group it again. We ended up with five twos, which we could do once more. Yeah. Okay, so it's three iterations. I don't think we can beat three. No. It, it halves so quickly. And and the higher the number gets, the more that you're getting rid of each time. It's I feel like Yeah. the more chances there are that there's multiple that have a number equal to the lowest one initially. 
Okay, so nine is the one with the most. Let us say, we don't know for sure. Hypothesis, nine is the one with the most. Should we try 15? Yeah, let's try 15. Okay. I'm leaving this one up to you because I can only have so many like things that I can store in my brain at once. Yep, you've only got so much RAM. <laughs> yeah, my RAM isn't strong enough to do uh, to do 15. Okay, so splitting it a few times, uh, we got down to 8 eights, and then we're going to have to split most of those. Yes, yeah, so you have 1 8 and 14 fours. Okay. And then you're done. Yep, so we end up with, yeah, it's just one iteration. I think these high ones just finish themselves off pretty quickly. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. We have the answer of what's the most. Unless there's something we're totally missing, like it's like 11 or something like that. What happens in Minecraft, pop quiz, when you right-click something that has an odd number of items in it? I don't know. I can't remember which way it goes. It, you take the largest one with you. Okay. Um, so if, it, if, the, if there's three and you right-click it, you'll have two in your hand and you'll leave one behind. Okay. So it, it rounds up. Which leads to an interesting problem in the general case, because if you have a stack of 65 to start with, you will bring 33 with you and you'll leave 32 behind, which means that suddenly your path to distributing these things among the squares kind of starts to matter. Yeah. Or the algorithm starts to very definitely choose which pile goes. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, let's say you're doing the case for four, and you have a, and the stack starts at sixty five. Then you halve it, and you have thirty two and thirty three. Yep. And then you and then you have to do thirty three in half. So you put seventeen. You're left with thirty two, sixteen, and seventeen. And then you do your thirty two, and then that goes. Yep. And your seventeen is in, in is is in a particular place. So you have one left over in, in a very particular place. Yep. This also means that when it comes to moving things around the grid, let's say that you didn't have the algorithm that just takes the largest one, and he just says, let's just try and distribute this through the halving mechanism. Yep. I have come across something kind of interesting. Okay. So, if you have two stacks... To start with, let's say, 64 and 20. And yep. you halve the 64, yep. and you place it amongst the 20. Then you have 32 and 52. Okay, so you're placing one of the 32s onto the 20. Onto the 20. So you have 32 and 52. And yep. then you halve the 52 yep. into 20, 26. And you okay. put that on the 32. Yeah, 58 and 26. 58 and 26. Yep. And then you halve the 58. Yep. 29, and you put the 29 on the 26, so then you have 55 over there, yep. and you're left with 29 on the left. There's this interesting thing that happens where it you have these pairs that flip in terms of who's the largest. You get loops, yeah. And they, and they tend towards a situation whereby you have something that's twice the other one, and then you just keep moving the top between each other. Yeah. Okay, right. I'm going to relate this to something that you showed me. Okay. Back on your YouTube channel. Um, yes, yes. The tie problem? Yes. Um, I, I've, I've used that when I was teaching decision mathematics as an example of an algorithm that I can just do, because I've, I've usually got like a neck scarf or something on when I'm sure. teaching. Yeah. Do, do you want to describe the algorithm? Yes. So 
Uh, if you want to fold a tie into thirds, you start by making a single fold anywhere. You hold the tie by the pinch of that fold, take the longest end, you draw it up to that pinch, and then you've you've kind of made another pinch, you've made another loop. Yeah, uh, so sorry, the bit loop. at the bottom. Yeah, you made a bit at the bottom, a U-shaped thing. Grab that with your other hand, and you let go with your left hand, and it flops down. And then you do the same again, the other way around. So you, you, you take the then longest part, and you draw that up to what you're now holding. And, yep. then you, and then you use your left hand, you hold the other one, and you let go again with the right hand. And then over time, what you'll end up with is when you, when you draw the longest end up to the fold, it should come very, very close to well, you know each, each strip of tie in equal length. So you end up with, yeah. This is what I was thinking of relating yep. it to this as well. So, so it, it naturally makes a, a third and a two-thirds bit. And that's, it's a really nice iterative process, because if you, you can do it with anything. If you want a piece of paper, so if you're writing a letter, um, often letter paper you fold into three pieces. Yeah. Whereas folding in two is easy. You just line up the top and the bottom of the piece of paper, and you can do it really neatly. Mm. When I've folded letters into fir- thirds in the past, I've used your tie algorithm. And you're right. It is the exact same thing that's going on here. So, with the tie algorithm, which is not something normal people say, but here we are, what you're doing is, it's almost like you have a long, a, like a full stack and, and a short stack. Yeah. And you are halving the full stack, and you're adding it to the short stack. Yeah. And then you have a new small and a new big. And you do that again in the other direction. And it keeps happening. Yes, and then you end up with something that's twice and, and something that's one. Now, in my head, I have always seen that as very different in terms of doing it in, in, a, in a discrete maths way. I have always seen that as three buckets where you kind of have this big, I don't know, think of a think of like the, the devil horns heavy metal thing you do with your hand and you kind of, you touch two and they become equal and then you move it over and right. you, touch the mid, you, you touch the middle and the right hand side. It's like you have three buckets in front of you, yep. three bowls. And you can touch the left bowl and the middle bowl, or the middle bowl and the right bowl. That those are your only choices. You can't touch the left and the right bowl. It uh, has to be the middle. Wh- what do you mean by devil horns? You've lost me at heavy metal. You know where? You know when Ronnie James Dio put his hand in the air and he raised his his, his index finger and his little finger. I, I don't know who that is. Um, where does my thumb go? You don't. Oh well, that's the thing. If you're punk rock, you stick the thumb out, and if you're and if you're metal, you keep the thumb in. Okay. <laughs> so it's Spider Man. Uh, n- well, it's not that way around. It's 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 the other way. It's palm down in the air. Got it. Okay. Have you right. ever seen a picture of a rock concert? Um, yeah, but I, I I don't know the details of this. I felt mattered. Yeah. Okay. I I, I currently have my hand in what I think you are describing as the right position. Okay. Uh, basically, it's just a way to create a bident. So okay. you're, you're 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 touching two bowls. My, my hand um, is now a lobster claw. Uh, yes, yep. yes, or, or thereabouts. And you have three bowls in front of you. Okay. One of them is full of stuff, and the other two are empty. Or it doesn't really matter what the distributions are, but let's start with something. Okay. And you touch two of them. Yep. The, mid- the middle and the left, or the middle and the right. Yep. And when you touch two of them, they equal. They equalize in okay. terms of what's in them. So you take the average. Yeah, I see. And then you, mo- you move that, z- that sphere of influence to the other side, and then you equal those. Then you go back again, and you equal the two on the left. And then you go back and you equal the two on the right. That's kind of how I viewed the tie thing. Yeah. But in this case, it's like there's two stacks, 
So just a different way of conceptualizing it. It's the same problem, yeah. and, I, and I suspect one way of thinking about it is you think of the 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 hand, maybe like what you're holding could be the third space. Yeah. But so you, you've got the um, the kind of thirds, which are the base of both of the um, the sides, and the third third just temporarily happens to be put onto one of those. Yeah. So I guess you can either think of it as like. The situation in which you're imagining, like the snapshot where you go, okay, this is how many the numbers are, is either whilst you're holding it or not whilst you're holding it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my Minecraft thing. It's very interesting uh, in terms of how fast they converge as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. These, the Taiwan does so quickly. Like after a few iterations, you can't notice any deviation from being a third. Yes. But the Taiwan is also continuous. Um, whereas the the Minecraft one is is discrete and that adds its own interestingness. So um, where I thought you were going to go before I thought of the tie thing was whether there are any small loops of numbers, like ones that go back onto themselves. But I suppose that loop is ones which are actually thirds, like a, a one to two ratio. It would be just going to itself. Yes. And there'll be some which are near that, which do as well. Yeah, uh, they will. Like so, one where the bigger one has one more, but it's odd. Yeah, you always take the uh, the larger one. Um, so either you'll be in a situation where they're all the same, or you'll be in a situation where the two at the bottom are one smaller than the than the top half that's shifting between them. Or, well, isn't that interesting? Because you can't have the situation where it's two higher than a multiple of three, because you always carry the bigger amount. You see what I'm saying? So if you have five, so say you start with with five and zero, and then you end up with two and three. Yep. And then four and one, and two and three, and four and one. So you get a two loop. So yes, it's two loop, but it's not like the two numbers are switching. Yep. It's just turning into a different one. Yes, and yes, the larger one is on the left, and it swaps between the larger one being on the left and the right, obviously. But it's not a situation where the two numbers just exchange places. I suspect there are longer loops as well. I'm not sure that there are longer loops for this particular case. I suspect in a more generalised case there could be. Just because it breaks so easily down into modulo 3 maths. Yeah, okay. I'm going to have a think about it off air, I think. Hmm. But that was my Minecraft th- These sort of things remind me of, uh, like, the collapse conjecture when you start bringing in negative numbers and things. You, you end up with a few small loops. Oh, I see. You want to extend it to sort of, yeah, negative numbers and things like that. I, th- I think the negative number stuff doesn't really matter that much. I think it's exactly the same problem as yours. Because it, it very quickly, like, if you've got one positive number and one negative number, but the positive number is bigger, like, further away from zero than the negative number is, then after one iteration, they're both positive anyway mm. and if they're both negative or if the negative one is bigger in magnitude then it's just the same problem it's just you've got some negatives in front i bet these look really nice on like a vertical graph where you like roger penrose star you've done time as the vertical axis and you just have the t- and you have the number line along the bottom and each iteration it sort of goes up and you can watch them swapping over like like a dna helices that are just converging into each other i bet it looks quite nice hey you know what we could do Draw that. In Minecraft. Oh, 
But Alex, you've got to edit the podcast later. We can't spend time doing that. I, I've got a, yeah, I've got a lot to do today. <laughs> <laughs> I've spent enough time in Minecraft. Uh, cool. Cool. There is a plane. It has 100 seats on it. Uh, they're assigned seats. They've got numbers on them. And you've got 100 people in the queue waiting to get on the plane. And they've all got their boarding passes. Unfortunately, the first person in the queue has lost their boarding pass, and for some reason they're still allowed on the plane. And uh, they can't remember which seat they're meant to go to, so they just wing it. They sit down in a random seat. Mm. Um, Each person then gets on one by one, and if their seat is empty, they go and sit in it. If their seat is already occupied, they go and take a random other seat. Yes. Uh, what's the probability that the hundredth person gets to sit in their own seat? This is also known as the substitute teacher problem. What's the um, the decoration on that one? When you know when the when you have a, a teacher that's not your teacher for that lesson. Yep. And and you all change seats, <laughs> but somebody changes seats first, and then someone sat in your seat. So then you have to sit somewhere else. And then you've displaced someone, someone else. And some people end up sitting in their, in their own seats. And some people don't. And it is this exact problem, actually. Now that I think about it. But with a class of 30 or so instead. This is people mostly trying to be um, be good. But one person disrupting it at the beginning. In yours, yes. there's potential for multiple disruptors. Along there the is a potential for multiple disruptors. <laughs> which, which might be the general case of this again. So, this problem reminds me of the one that we did a couple of weeks ago. Which one? The Sherlock one. Ah, yeah. The, I, I'm telling you that there is a nice answer to this. Ah, you mean a nice answer that someone can come up with? Yes, there's a nice intuitive answer. I, I thought I'd let you reel for a bit, but um. Okay. No, no, no. Let me, uh, let me, let me, let me try and let me try and intuit something. Um. So, first person sits down in the wrong place. Uh, they sit down in a random place. They sit down in a random place. There's a 99 out of 100 chance that they sit down in the wrong place. Yep. Then when the next person comes, there uh, is a 98 out of 100 chance that they will sit in the right place. Because either... You know, there's 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 two seats that are disqualified. Why the two? The one that actually belongs to the person, if it's not theirs... Oh no, hold on. I'm going about this the wrong way because this is introducing some... Yeah, it's already started branching at this point and yeah. it probably shouldn't. When I started this problem, I started with the smaller cases of people and started drawing out some tree diagrams. Um, it's actually unnecessary, but it might give you... Once you've got the answers to the first few, it might give you a kind of intuition as to what's going on. Roosters don't lay eggs. It's not one of those, is it? Uh, no, no. It's okay. not zero or one. Okay, so... <clears throat> Let's start with the three case. It might be it might be an intuition pump here. Person sits down, sit in a random seat, one in three chances theirs. Yep. And then everything is orderly from there. Yep, that's fine. Right. Okay, so <clears throat> the probability is at least one percent. For the uh True. I agree with that premise. I'm interested in this in the in, in how things branch in the second case. So let's do the case of five. Because that's a little easier to handle. First one sits down. Yep. One in five chance they're in the right place. Yep. Four, four in five chance they're not. Next person comes in. One in five chance that the person is sitting in their seat. 
four in five chance they're not. Yeah, and it just keeps going from there. And these things, do they get into loops? I, I can imagine that... You, you get some self-similarity uh, if you try and go through the probabilities of these things. Just doing it in a probability tree way. You can relate it. Like, say you've already done the fifth case. Then some of the sixth case reduces down to parts of the fifth case. And you can start setting up inductive stuff. But it's yeah. all overkill. Like, okay. um... To get to 100, you need some sort of, like, way of thinking about it, some general way in. Doing 100 stages of tree diagram isn't going to work. Yes. So, okay, either you're part of the displacement loop or you're not. Yes. And there's only there's only one displacement loop, and the displacement loop has a 1 in 100 chance of continuing in each step. Yep. And so it's just the geometric series of that. So it's it's A over 1 minus R. So is it 99 out of 100 chance then? No, it's not that likely. Should I tell you the probability that we're aiming for here? If you think that would be more interesting. It's always a half, no matter how many people. Hmm. So the 100 is ir- irrelevant. Even odd and even numbers of people. Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, obviously for 1 it doesn't work, but for 2 upwards. Okay. Because... Because the containment loop will either have an odd or an even number of people in it with equal probability. And if it has an even number of people in it, then the last person will be in the right place. I mean, an odd number of people. I don't think that's true. No, me neither. I think think that's you hearing that you needed two sets of things that were equally true and uh, thinking odds and evens. Okay. Here's a way of reframing the problem, which is... The reason I'm doing it is because I find this quite satisfying. Okay. So imagine, uh, instead of the situation of where you find someone in your seat, you then just go and get random out of a seat. Imagine instead, when you get to the seat with someone in it, you turf them out, you sit down in your proper seat, and then you send them to go into a random other seat. Because people are indistinguishable. Yeah. So in that situation, what happens is the first person goes and sits down. As soon as someone, the, the person whose seat they're in comes, they're going to get turfed out. Mm. And they're going to find some other seat. And eventually, yeah. that next seat's owner is going to come. That's only going to stop when either they sit in their own seat, or in the seat of the last person. Yes. Those are equally likely. If they at any point sit in their own seat, then everything everyone sits in their own seat from then on. It's all fine. If at any point they sit in the seat of person number 100, then the person number 100 isn't, isn't happy when they get there. Why are they equally likely? Because they're each one seat. Yeah, it's a uniform distribution. Mm. And so it must always be a half, no matter how many seats there are on the plane. Except for one. The reason you can't do one is because the person that lost their bulb pass and the person who you're trying to check the end criteria are on would have to be the same person. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense as a problem. Nice. I, I just thought it was quite satisfying. It's less of a maths problem, even though it's definitely fronted that way. And more of a puzzle. But you can do it with the probabilities if you really want to do. Yeah. So the way I heard about this problem was back at the Oxford-Cambridge interviews. One of my students got given it as a problem um, as like a probability problem where they talk through the cases for two and three and four and then we're asked to make like a kind of hypothesis well, right because if you could work through the cases of two and three and four find out it's half for each of them and go oh it's probably half all the time yeah 
and then, then maybe try up. and talk about the uh, the intuition behind. Yeah, why it's half all the time. We had a situation at work the other day. So okay, get this. It's pretty similar. Yep. There is a room booking system. Someone's meeting is incredibly important, and it runs over, and it means someone else's meeting is displaced. So then they go into another random empty meeting room. Yep. And then that meeting turns up and goes, what the hell are you doing? And they're saying, oh, sorry, we got moved from somewhere else. Can you find somewhere else? <laughs> and then there's this bit of a dance around it, and you eventually the room's booking system settles down. When someone underruns. Well, let's just assume that the people in the important meeting were just going to be in a random room in that hour slot anyway, and everybody has hour-long meetings in the rooms. Okay, uh, I see. In that in that particular hour slot, and, and and then it ends up being the exact same problem, yep. I think. Yeah. So how does this work for if you're not considering the last person? That's when it gets messy, right? If you talk about the 99th person and things like that. Is it always a half for all of them? Is it always a half for all of them? No. Not for the first one. Imagine you've got 100 seats and you care about what the 99th person is doing. Then it's irrelevant about the 100th person. It's like you're just doing the case for 99, right? Well, I'm not convinced that that's a half. Because if you consider... if It's not a half for everybody. Because if you consider the second person, it's definitely not a half for them. Because the person is either... Yeah, the first person is either... Yeah, there's only a 1 in 100 chance. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, that does sound much messier. So they, they distribute across this. Yeah. From 50-50. For, so from... One they have a higher chance. The earlier on, you, yeah, you have a higher chance. Yeah. It's, it's like you want all the people to have settled by the time it gets to you. So, I don't know, it's the opposite, isn't it? You don't want them to have settled into your seat. Well, who are you in this case? Oh, I, I'm imagining I'm not the uh, the person that's lost their boarding pass. This reminds me of a plane fact that I know about boarding planes. When planes are being filled up with people, they like to do them from front to back. Okay. Uh, because, theoretically, it's faster that way. So, I'm imagining a typical 747 where you have people going in at the front and the back. This is just, uh, say this is a, this is a Fokker or something where you, you, you're only bored from the front. Okay. Uh, and everybody gets on at the front because it's, you know, it's Heathrow and there's the big tubey thing and it sticks in the front. But first class get on first. Yes. And sit at the front. Yes. You, let's ignore first class because in a lot of cases they actually sit to the left. Okay. Um, rather than to the right. Yeah. And of course there's business economy and so on and so on. But anyway, suffice it to say that they split the plane, I was about to call it a ship, they split the skyship into, uh, into you know, even parts, you know, four sections. Could those in seats, one through 15, please board now? And they, and they, and they do them like that because it's, it's faster. You know, there's, uh, if, if you think when someone's going down the, the alleyway, or the aisle, yep. there is a chance that there will be an infuriating person who has to stop and hold everything up. Okay. Now, I'm very acutely aware of this situation, and I always just shift into the seat as fast as I can. I also don't take rolling uh, luggage with me as hand luggage, because if it's hand luggage, you have to hold it in your hand, sir, not roll it on the ground. Anyway, because, it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it holds everything up, and if you have rolling luggage, then you, you increase the probability that you are that person who's holding the queue up behind you, because nobody can board uh, further into the plane if you, if yeah. I, I tend to go on... With um, a big stack of 
book, tablet, uh, book of logic problems, yeah, and passport, like all in a big stack uh, in my hands, yes. so that I can go straight into the seat. Now you would think that perhaps okay, so there's this chance that you're holding people up, and um, and the reason they go front to back is because you're not holding as many people up because there's only a certain amount of people who are allowed to board at that point. So that speeds things up. Uh, if you can imagine the situation in which they board back to front, the theory goes that that's awful, because you could seriously hold people up because you're blocking more people off as you get towards the end. I I don't understand that logic. So well, you... see, that's the thing. That's the thing. Let me... Here we go. Right. So, planes board this front to back for the logic that it's faster. In actuality, it is not. Back to front is faster. In further actuality, even faster is if everybody boards randomly, rather than trying to... Uh... I was with you with your uh, board from the back theory. I'm yeah. not sure about the uh, the BOGO, Phil. Yes. So, this is something I've heard, and I have no proof for, and I would love to work out if that's true. Don't think we have time now to okay, work so, out if that's true. Um, hypothesis that maybe you're correct... If you've got lots of people in the same part of the aisle, all trying to fiddle around with putting stuff in overhead lockers, then they're all kind of bumping into each other and it takes longer overall. Whereas if you let them in randomly, the first people on will be randomly distributed along the length of the aisle, most of which probably not interacting with each other. So it's so what you're worried about is the probability that um, somebody starts fumbling around, taking excess time and holding the queue up. Yep. If you do it back to front, and remember it's back to front in blocks as well, it's not... Yeah. They don't go, right, seat number 60, you're up, because that'll take even longer. Uh, yeah, just something to so, so, something to think about. I'm going to look into it a little bit more, and, and maybe we'll bring it up on another episode um, for the, the reasoning. Hmm. But um, as someone who's done a little bit of pedestrian modeling in the past... Um, yeah. PedMod is, is a fascinating subject. I, I look into different practices of different airlines. I suspect that, that some of them do it differently. Yeah. I, there'll be uh, competing philosophies. Right. So we've had lots of lovely feedback. Um, let's start off with the 1 minus log 2 thing. Mm. So this came up um, from a series we had back when we were doing the Prisoner stuff. Uh, it was episode 8. And it came off the, um, the Sherlock Holmes card thing. We had a, a series of n- numbers, um, and it looked like it was approaching something. And last week, Andrew Slatterly uh, said that the limit was 1 minus log 2, um, but couldn't find a proof of it. Uh, he's come through, and has come up with a proof for it. Um, Alex and I have both independently come up with proofs of uh, various goodness. Proof is a uh, is a strong word for what I did, <laughs> but uh, uh, carry on. We've got them all on Twitter, and it's is like Andrew Slattery's is nice and formal. Mine is a bit hand wavy, and then Alex's. It, Mine is just sort of like spitting in the general direction of the problem <laughs> and then claiming it solved. Yeah, um, uh, both mine and Andrew Slattery's uh, use similar ideas. The idea is you're starting off with the graph of uh, y equals one over x, and you're doing the area um, under it from n to two n. He did it with a whole lot of rectangles bounding. Uh, above and below. If you do the the sum of the areas of all those rectangles, you get the series that we wanted, or close enough. 
Whereas if you do the integral of 1 over x, you get logs involved. Um, I think that's kind of what I was doing in my in my gut somewhere in the in the in the my the back neurons that were working out yeah. that 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 these two are related to each other sums and I was imagining a number line condensing. Yeah. And I suspect that that's very similar to what you were doing. The limit of a sum um as you take more and more things as the things get smaller is basically what an integral is. Mine was essentially the same. I did the same graph. I just did it with the trapezium rule. So same integral, but trapezium rule on all those bits. Mine is a bit messier, and I didn't bound it at both ends. But it's the same idea. All of these things come down to um, log two. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, shout out to <laughs> this wasn't in uh, feedback that we were definitely going to put back. But uh, now that I'm looking at this thread, shout out to Dallas Dickinson who wants a snaky blushy. Uh, we're not working on it, but we will work it. <laughs> ben, if more people want snaky plushies, we'll get there. I'm getting more and more fond of snaky by the day. Just the other day, I drew like a kind of like Metal Gear Solid rugged version of Snakey. <laughs> with like a, just I, mean, I was just doodling. I want to see that. I'll find it. I may have binned it. I might redraw it. So um, also, we had some feedback from an individual that I went to um, Oxford with called Thomas Venice. Venice? German name, I think. Who came up with the same solution the uh the the log two thing yep. uh similar method so well done to everybody who got there using that way uh i wouldn't i don't how do you how did you come like to think of doing this how does that work i don't understand the path we just sat you just you just sat down and then suddenly you click your fingers and went aha it's this is it one of those like things you can't really explain quite a lot of the first principle stuff we do with calculus in a level works with that sort of reasoning Turning sums into integrals and things. Yeah, so do, doing the proof of the area under this thing is um, the integral. Right. It's kind of it's, it's how we lead into it. And also the way that I introduce classes to natural log is basically doing that method. So you start off with the graph y equals 1 over x, which they know how it works. But using their first year of mathematics, they're, they're not able to um, integral, integrate it. Because they try adding one to the power and dividing by the new power, and so you get a big divide by zero. And they're like, ooh, no, we can't do that. And then yeah. I, I get them to do it manually using the trapezium rule, because it's the only numerical method they know at that point in their education. Sure. Um, so it, it's something that's kind of come up just as part of A-level teaching. I, I just formalised it a bit and mm. messed around with the details. They'll also know Simpson's rule by that point, right? Which is an extension of the trapezium rule. It's in our formula book, but it's no longer, longer on the syllabus. Really? Oh yeah, that's fair. I never really understood where it came from, and I was, you know, top set and stuff. So. As far as I understand, Simpson's rule is a bit like you're doing the trapezium rule, but instead of having lines at the top of the trapezia, you have uh, bits of, like, quadratic. Yeah, that's what I have in my head. It's like something to do with the quadratic version of the trapezium rule, but I don't get how you can possibly... Because trapezium rule is nice, it's made of little, little, little squares, sorry, rectangles. Yep. They're easily summed, whereas things with curves on top doesn't mean... Really... Is that the same Simpson, by the way, as Simpson's Paradox that I always I, bring I up? I don't know. And we'll get on to at some point. <laughs> I, I've never done Simpson's um, rule um, formally. It's just been one of those things in the formula book that mm. students occasionally ask about. Um, it always struck me as a silly thing to do anyway, because if you want to get a more accurate version of the trapezium rule, you just take more trapezia. Yeah. Um, that's it double the number of trapezia rather than messing around with uh yeah yeah increasing orders of 
uh, in indices. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I may be completely wrong about Simpsons Rule. I'm doing this off the top of my head. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I I remember it being a um, I remember it being a Yasko Quadratic version of trapezium rule and I remember also it was something to do with it was slightly better at evening out the overestimation and the underestimation okay um which if you're using trapezium rule on y equals 1 over x you will always overestimate yep um yeah um so uh, Thomas uh, Vaness also gave us a very complete answer to the Scrabble permutations thing hmm um so this was the problem where we were rotating the letters around. We, we've done it in lots of the feedbacks recently. It's been a very popular one. So in the past, we came up with like eight, eat, and t. If you rotate yep. the letters around, they're all valid words. Uh, he's gone the programming approach and has got them all. Um, so there are different libraries you can use online of just all the words. Um, and so he's used a particular one here. Uh, there's quite a lot. We've done basically all the good ones. But uh, it pleased Alex. The uh, who, a ho, and ooh. It was legit. <laughs> yeah. I said it in the episode. 30 seconds after we came up with the problem, I claim victory here, yeah, I think. There's quite a lot of them. I- I'll put a list on the show notes. But there were some four-letter ones. Yes. So, Nala, Anal, Lana, and Alan. I'm not sure quite how Alan is in there, because it seems like <laughs> a proper noun. Uh, but maybe, like, Alan Key. S- so does Lana. Yeah. Uh, Alan Key's named after a person. Yeah. Mm. Then uh Nana and An An. Nana. You know, short for banana, obviously. <laughs> Give me a nana. But An An, never heard of it. No. And then uh S E S E and E S E S. S's. S's. S's and Say C's or Cese. Don't know. Yeah. I didn't look any of these up. There's quite a lot here. Um, but he's claiming there's none for five or more. Hmm. Okay, so we'll have to invent a language. Do you think there are five or more in Japanese if you were to put down katakana and you were to do it like that? Because their alphabet is... Oh no, there's more of those. Don't worry yeah, about that. more letters. Yeah, more letters. What you want is a, a language with fewer letters. Like Hawaiian, which has 12. Hmm. Well, I mean, Tokipona has very few as a constructed language, a bit like mm. Esperanto. But it also has very few words. Which doesn't help. What about the binary numbers in ASCII? Because ASCII isn't fully... you So Unicode isn't fully... Fully uh, done, yeah. Filled up yet. That's why we keep having more and more emojis that break the fundamental rules of emojis that they have to be like universal and not tied into anything, anybody's IP and stuff like that. I felt at that point we were just looping around to our original problem. Like the reason we talked about these words is because we were originally doing the same thing with numbers. Probably, yeah, that's true. That's true. We're just going to loop backwards and forwards between the just can't systems. help ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've also got a piece of feedback from my students. Um, last week I was I was doing the problem. It was the last day of term. It's the Easter holidays at the moment for me, and uh, we were working on the Narayana's cows variations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked on the Domino version for a bit. Yes. And it's a bit like. So I claimed in, in the episode where we did it that um, I don't think it was Fibonacci. It wasn't Fibonacci. Um, but it's really close. Uh, it's like Fibonacci with noise for ages. So 1, 1, 2, 4, 5, 8, 12, 21. 
Like all of those are numbers which are one within Fibonacci. Yeah. Um, and so it felt like it was, it was Fibonacci with noise. Like imagine you've got a little bit of disruption, uh, but it's, it's trying to peek through. And that was our conclusion for ages. Uh, but I think the very next one breaks it. It's like way down. And we thought we were doing something procedurally wrong with counting. And we don't think we are. And so, don't know. Not Fibonacci. Well, so this is another point of feedback that uh, Thomas gave via email. Okay. Uh, who by, we didn't give his creds. He's at physics at Yale. So there's another um, important university we've got stamped from our feedback. We've had Oxford. Where was Alex from? UC uh, Berkeley? Yep. We've had and- MIT. And we've had MIT and, you know, and Yale. So Cambridge, where you at? Tabs? <laughs> where are you? He gave, he actually gave a general case solution to Mariana's cows, which we're going to withhold for now because we would like you all to work on it for a little longer. But that does make sense, what you're saying with the dominoes thing, because just as a, as a little teaser, the general case solution uh, is reductions on Fibonacci type things. Okay. As opposed to additions. Cool. Right, thank you for joining us for this particular episode. Uh, I had a pretty good time talking about a number of my favourite puzzles. The uh, plane boarding thing, the tie thing, talked about Minecraft. But let's do this a little more formally. Uh, For those of you who are listening for the first time, what we do at the end is we discuss each of the puzzles and problems that we went through uh, this week, and we discuss how satisfied we were with uh, our answers slash the discussion. So... Uh, Alex is always much better at remembering this than me. He's probably just looking at the show notes, but what was the first thing we did uh, uh, this episode? We were talking about Minecraft. Yeah. We had my Minecraft one, uh, where we were... So both of the Minecraft ones were relating to halving stacks, but mine was, how many iterations does it take? Four. I wasn't particularly satisfied. I thought it was going to be neater. I thought we were going to get some nice number theory thing. Yeah. And that may still be out there. You know, I felt relatively satisfied with, with you know solving it for 32 upwards of 32 the answer is 1 all the way to 64 and then it's 0 from then on in and I think we had we did a pretty good job of potentially finding the highest one but you're right there's no nice like oh it's this plus this you know this factorial divided by that you know none of that Um, it's just it's just that's what the case is and maybe it is definable but we didn't get there so 5 Okay. And then the next one was my Minecraft problem, which was uh, the convergence of halving a stack and adding it to another smaller stack and just keep doing that forever. And we ended up talking about one of my favorite things in the world, which is how to fold a tie into three using an iterative method. Yep. So I enjoyed that discussion. Eight. Yeah. Nine. And then what did we talk about? The plane seat problem. Ah, uh, yes. Where it's a puzzle in disguise, really. It's a puzzle disguised as a maths problem. Mm. I mean, again, it's one of these ones, with all the puzzles, I already know the solution, as opposed to the maths problems. Yes. But they're ones that I pick because they're satisfying. Like, yeah. I like that reasoning of it being equivalent to just chucking the person out of their seat and getting them to carry on. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a good yeah, that's a good a good way of doing things. Yeah, reasonably satisfied. Annoyed I didn't get there. With all these things, you'll be more or less satisfied with with it than I will because I'm the one who has to try and solve them. Yeah, 
No, I. You know what? I. I, I got barely anywhere. But I. I like that we managed to work out that it is not fifty-fifty all the way down. Not that that was a particularly hard thing to work out, but it felt like a little light bulb moment. Yep. Yeah. And that was surprising to me. But mm. you're you're right. Thinking about the extremes, thinking about the second person was the way. Yeah. Eight. You're eight on that one. Oh, I'm like I'm like a six. It's uh yeah, very disappointed in myself. I will be uh, screaming into a pillow later in in frustration at uh, just how bad I was. That's a joke, by the way. I'm very mentally stable. <laughs> Did we talk about anything else? Plane boarding, a little bit. Not that that was its own independent puzzle, but uh, if anybody can find a nice paper or something about how you should board planes, uh, or maybe some something on pedestrian modelling, that would be great. But, you know, it wasn't a puzzle, so no need to rate that one. Cool. I had a good time. It was a pretty good episode. Um, I did too. Yeah. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us. Listeners, thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, we hope you had a good time as well. If you want to contact us, our main way is our Twitter, if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, I found out this week that we, we've got a feedback form on our website. Hmm. That, that's how that's how Thomas got in touch with us. What is um, it? Link. I presume they it, filled it in at some point. Uh, it, I mean, it just uh, yeah, it's uh, you can email us through some form on our website, and then it falls into our into our inbox. That's why. That's why all the titles, all the subject lines, are all formatted feedback from odds and evenings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so if you want to get in touch with us, <laughs> there's this form on our website. I don't know where it is because I didn't actually go and look for it, but this is just an assumption from me. Actually, let me just go check that now. Yeah, so oddsandevenings.com is our website. Uh, contact down the bottom yeah there we go contact us there's a form so if you go on our website scroll down to the bottom the button called contact there's also a big word that says contact on the top you can get in touch with us via that form there or you can email us directly at oddsevenings at gmail.com but that's a little bit worse um, so yeah fill in the contact form is even better uh, Twitter is at odds and evenings uh, my personal Twitter is at speak mouthwords we have a subreddit I haven't looked at it if you want to man our subreddit, feel free. Uh, anything else? Then that's it. That's it. That is it when it comes to contacting us. Yeah, you got, I mean, do you talk to us about anything. This is slowly turning into a more community-oriented show. So <laughs> just get in touch. Any maths thoughts you have, even suggesting puzzles, and uh, and and we may get onto it at some point. Who knows? Make him good. Bye, bye, Alex. Bye-bye, Alaric. Have a nice weekend and a lovely evening and a fantastic rest of the week. Thank you. You're welcome. And, uh, and and we may get onto it at some point. Who knows? Make him good. Then you say something because this is a show with two people on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bye bye, Alex. <laughs>